Thanks, brother. All right. Good morning. Let me get myself moved up a little bit further here. All right. Well, I will be honest, I'm excited and a bit nervous. It's been a little while since I've had the opportunity to uh, teach in a church setting like this. So I'm, I'm excited and nervous at the same time. Um, also excited and uh, burdened uh, by the topic today. Uh, it's a topic that's been on my heart for, <clears throat> I was trying to figure it out probably about eight years ago that God started to change my heart uh, in regards to issues of justice, biblical justice. Uh, Mike mentioned to you that it was two weeks ago that JR began to uh, talk with us about biblical justice, and we're in this series called Just Living, where we're talking not just about charity, but about justice. It's not just doing good deeds for people that need good deeds. It's not just giving fish. It's teaching people how to fish. And it's doing more than that. Because we're not just talking about charity, we're talking about justice. We're talking about challenging the systems and the structures that are in place that keep people from fishing in the pond. And so we need to give fish, we need to teach people how to fish, and we need to challenge those structures. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said, it's not enough to suffer with the poor. We must confront the people and systems that cause poverty. We can't set the captive free if we're not willing to confront those who hold the keys. But we're not just talking about justice here at Renew. We're talking about biblical justice. There's a difference. Justice doesn't include the gospel on its own. We're talking about biblical justice. We're talking about a justice that flows out of the heart of the Father. A justice that flows out of the Father who sent His Son to die in our place so that we could be set free. That shalom could be brought back to God's creation. J.R. shared about how justice is right, right relationships with ourselves, with each other, with creation, and with God. That's biblical justice. Biblical justice is a just God who sent His Son to die for unjust people and through a process of justification makes us new and sets us free and then enlists us as His agents to build His kingdom and to set other people free. Amen? Amen. Alright. So, uh, that's where we've been. Where we're going. Uh, as There's been a, a group of us that have been meeting for... A uh, year, two years maybe, I don't know, a year and a half, uh, that have been passionate about justice. And some of this series is an overflow of that. Uh, you're always welcome to join us. If you're interested, talk to myself, um, Ange, Doug, Megan. Uh, we'll, we'll get you in the loop. So, um, <coughs> But we, we tried to, to wrap our, our minds around how can we talk about a problem so broad as the injustice that's going on in the world, and how can we talk about biblical justice in just a few short weeks? What we decided to do is break it down into three different realms. Um, racism, classism, and sexism. There are three main branches of injustice, and you'll find as you look at issues of injustice that 
Most of them fall into one or more than one of those categories. Uh, justice in this world is very complex. It's, it's vast, it's overwhelming, it's confusing, it's complicated. I'd like to read to you a, a brief excerpt from a book, um, I'm not that far in, uh, by Gary Haugen. Uh, Gary Haugen is president and founder of IJM, International Justice Mission. They're a fantastic organization doing great work around the world, helping local people, social workers, churches, governments, police officers, bring about biblical justice in their own communities. Uh, so they're doing wonderful things. Uh, I've learned so much about biblical justice from reading Gary's books and hearing him talk. So listen to this uh, brief paragraph. Listen for these three uh, branches of, of injustice as I read just this short, short story. An otherwise impoverished mom in a low-income country might be able to pay for mosquito nets and improve sanitation for her family on her own if she could have a microloan to buy that sewing machine for the tailoring business she runs out of her home. Of course, she may not bother to set up such a business or improve the sanitation in her home if she's afraid the local council is going to shut down her business or throw her off her land because neither is properly licensed or because wealthy friends of a local politician are preparing to steal her property. And even if she isn't paralyzed by those fears, it turns out the reason she can't get the licenses is because she's illiterate, has never been to school, and has no idea how to access the process or fill out the forms. She didn't go to school because in her family, school was for boys. They were too poor to pay school fees, and she was married off to an older man and started having children when she was 15. She can't work as a maid outside the home anymore because she has a sick child at home who is ill from drinking the local water that has been polluted by the unregulated mining operation in her town. The local officials in her town have accepted bribes from the international company running the mining operation to look the other way. And her husband lost his job with the mine because they hired cheaper laborers who are refugees from the civil war in the neighboring country. Injustice in our world is complex. There's no easy solution to a problem like that. There's no easy solution. Evil runs rampant. Powers are strong. But I, I want to encourage you this morning that God is stronger, God is bigger, and He cannot be stopped. Amen? And so it's, it's tough as we talk about all these horrible injustices that are going on in the world. People going through unimaginable pain daily, hopeless, helpless, but we need to remember that God is a God of justice. And God's heart, Daddy's heart is for justice. And that's what Daddy's fighting for. I'm going to cry all over the place today. <laughs> and he's asked us to help him.
And so that's why we're doing this. Because if we're seeking Daddy's heart, if we're after His heart, then He says, come and help me. Come and help me set these people free. Uh, and so I'm excited to share with you. Um, looking at these three problems, sexism, racism, and classism, uh, as I've started to think and unpack these things, they're all connected by this one word here, dehumanization. Think about that for a moment. When we rob people of their proper and full identity as God's beloved children, when we say, you can do this or you can't do that, you must do this, you mustn't do that. Sorry, you're not allowed here, your skin's the wrong color. Sorry, you can't do that, you're a woman. You must look this way, you're a woman. No, you can't go that, that way you're poor. When we do those things, what we're doing is dehumanizing people that God loves. And we're saying to them, you're not fully human. And we say to them, you're not wanted, and so we can do away with you. We're robbing them of their humanity. When we, uh, I'll just read that, treat someone as unhuman or less than human, we deprive them of their humanness, we rob them of community that God has given to them, of identity that God has given to them. See, we live in a country where we say we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal under God's eyes. We say that, but as a country, we fall so short of actually living that out. Uh, guilty. First one right here. Uh, I'm guilty. Um, I'll tell you what I'm going to write on the board back there. I'll tell you that I stand up here teaching about sexism and preaching against it, but I still struggle as a man who has been an, an addict to pornography. I still struggle with seeing women as, as sexual objects. I still struggle with that, and I need prayer for that daily. I still struggle to see my identity as God's beloved son when I stoop down and just view a woman on the computer screen as an object. It, it, it dehumanizes me and it dehumanizes her. It, it, it robs me of my identity as well as her. Uh, and you can go to the next slide. Uh, so I'm not looking for that type of confession from any of you. Um, but other ways, how have you seen, and I'll, I'll ask for just hands and, and answers here, how have, how have we participated in dehumanizing others? I want you to stop and think about that for a little bit because I don't want to just be up here rambling. I want you to think, how have we dehumanized other people? Go ahead, Peter. Um, what we spend our money on. Hmm. How so? Our dollars are like a vote. And sometimes we are unwittingly, unknowingly voting for things we shouldn't be or wouldn't mm. be if we knew. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. What else? Ben. Yeah. 
Yeah, we, we, we do that regularly. Judge them based on a stereotype. Good. What else? Abortion. Yeah. Yeah. It's, sorry, we don't want this child, and so let's just destroy it. What else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the time. John? Belittling immigrants. Mm. Just being frustrated with how they're adapting Right. Right. Yeah. And they're tricky issues. And just some of the things we touched on here, some of you are, are maybe getting the hair standing up on the back of your necks. Like, oh, don't go there. Um, it's tough stuff. Um, something that, that God has placed on my heart is our language, how we talk about people. Uh, the one that Johnny just mentioned. Uh, even how we refer to immigrants is what? Go ahead. Illegal aliens. Boy. Horribly dehumanizing. Just Let's just slap that label on them and call them illegal and call them aliens. Yeah. So what are some ways that we can honor and empower others to live in their full identity as God's beloved children? What are some ways that we can fight against this dehumanization process and humanize people, recognize everyone as fully human, as, as God's beloved children. Seek to understand. Seek to understand. Yeah. You want to explain that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus is a master at that. And you read through uh, the Gospels Notice how many times he stops and looks. I've heard, uh, heard a guy speak one time who, who spent, I forget how long it was, a period of time intentionally living as a homeless person to see what that was like. And he said the hardest thing was not wondering where the food was going to come from, spending nights cold out on the street. The hardest thing was that people would walk past and not even acknowledge that he existed. They wouldn't even make eye contact. So yeah, getting to know people and actually stopping and acknowledging that they're fully human. What else? Yeah, absolutely. Ignoring, and I'll even say confronting them, right? Uh, calling them out when we see them as lies. Good. What else? Angie? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's not us first then. Yeah. What's that? Being doers. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, get off the couch. Be active. Liam. Chase the heart and the person of Jesus instead of just the idea of time someone Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's, uh, Mike mentioned it. I'll mention it. Liam's mentioning it. J.R. nailed it last week. We're pursuing God's heart. And when we pursue God's heart, all these things will fall into place. Um, See, at its worst, uh, dehumanization 
leads to uh, people becoming objects or commodities that are bought, sold, rented, abused, killed, discarded, forgotten, unimportant. And you know what? The people that are doing it oftentimes just walk away free. It doesn't matter because whoever, whoever they did whatever to wasn't fully human anyway, right? They weren't valuable enough that they should get punished. So that's the problem. Uh, today, uh, specifically, uh, and you can go to the next slide, we're going to go, talk specifically about the problem of sexism. And we're going to get into sexism and how that relates to human trafficking. Um, I like to have you participate because I think it helps get you involved and it engages your minds and your souls. So please turn to a couple people around you and discuss that question. Where have you experienced or witnessed sexism in our culture and in our world? Whether it's something that's been done to you, to someone you know or love, you've observed it, where have you experienced it or witnessed it in our world? Ready, go. Let's bring it together again. It's a rowdy bunch. I want to read to you a couple stories of how sexism is rearing its ugly head in our world. But there's stories that also have hope. Um, I didn't get these up on the screen. Uh, this is Grace from Uganda. She'll be up here. Uh, after Grace's husband died, a powerful relative stole the small plot of land Grace farmed. She lives in Uganda. He enforced his theft by hurling threats at her while wielding a machete. Without the land, Grace had no way to earn an income to feed her children. <coughs> But she wasn't alone. Uh, people were able to uncover proof of the theft, proof of Grace's ownership of the land, and are continuing to work with Grace to help her uh, get her land back. Here's Agnes from Uganda. Uh, let's see, she could barely feed and clothe her young children, four kids. She should have been able to provide for them with crops grown on the land that was left to her and her sisters by their grandparents, but relatives ignored the will and stole the property. Uh, again, as a woman, without a man there, not much she could do. Uh, she's getting help. Um, she has people advocating for her and she's getting her land back. Joyce from Uganda. Uh, there's a violent brother that ran her off her land with a machete just because she was a widowed woman. Uh, she could hardly keep her children clothed and housed. Didn't have any strength left. Attorneys have come and helped her getting her land back. Um, she has a sturdy home now on land that she farms for corn. Her children are back in school. She now says, I can dream and hope about tomorrow. And this is uh, Kiri from Guatemala. Uh, her parents discovered that she had been sexually assaulted 
and was pregnant as a result. They filed a police report, but months went by and nothing happened. No arrest was weighed, no warrant was issued. Finally, some of IJM's attorneys were able to come and help her voice be heard. Uh, they were able to arrest and convict the abuser uh, who's now serving out his sentence in jail. So, good stories of God at work uh, in the lives of those who are uh, victims of sexism. Just yesterday, uh, several of us uh, went to uh, an event called Walk a Mile in Your Shoes. Raise your hand if you were there. Now stand up if you were there. That's awesome. And there are uh, so some, of the, some of the guys have blisters uh, on their feet to prove that they walked a mile uh, in high heels. Uh, I don't know about those of you that were there. To me, the best parts, um, they had four or five uh, living statues uh, from Methacton High School who stood there uh, and just kind of shared stories. Uh, I don't know that it was their stories, but real stories. They were actors and actresses of what it's like to be victims of sexual violence, uh, men and women, boys and girls. Um, <coughs> but the other favorite part for me was uh, hearing a woman get to share her story of how she was abused and how she's now coming to a place where she's finding freedom and healing. Uh, that's so powerful to me. I got to meet a young woman who shared last year I um, was so excited to see her again and went up and, and shook her hand and said hi. And uh, it's, just, it's such a blessing to meet those people and see them set free. One in four women in our nation will be abused. One in four. Uh, sexism is a huge problem, not just sexual violence, but that's certainly a place where, where it hits. Um, <clears throat> we read from Isaiah 61. And really, you can see throughout all of Scripture, God's heart for the marginalized. God takes people that are on the margins, people that are, are oppressed and abused, and He brings them into the middle of His story. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save those that have been put out to the margins by this world, by society, whether they be women who are oppressed, other races, certain classes. And he takes them and he brings them in and he says, I love you. We can look at slavery through scripture and, and um, it's hard. I understand uh, some people will look at Old Testament and go, ah, why didn't God just condemn slavery? He even seems to uh, permit it. Uh, for Israel, and, and even in the New Testament, Paul doesn't stop slavery. Why doesn't he write the letter and just say, you should get rid of your slaves, set them free? He doesn't. And so, it's a tricky issue. Uh, there are times when you read the Scripture where you're going, God, you could be doing more to communicate and to, to, to set women free from the oppression that exists on them, that has existed for thousands and thousands of years. It, can, it, can, it confuses me sometimes. Sometimes you're, you're, I'm reading Scripture and I'm like, ah, God, why didn't you do it this way instead of that way? Why didn't you just come down and say, you know, all equal and, and, and 
but he did. It just doesn't look the way that we always want it to look. Um, I would suggest to you that if you look at the trajectory of God's plan in Scripture, if you look at how, how it's gone from the beginning up through the New Testament, that you will see God's heart for the oppressed, for the slaves, for women, that you'll see that in the whole story of Scripture, how he's continuing to, to set them free and say they're equal, even to the point in where, where God says there's neither slave nor free, male nor female, right? So it's there. Sometimes I know we wish it was there more clearly, but it's there. Uh, and I encourage you to, to tap into God's heart uh, for the marginalized. Uh, remember, uh, just to highlight a couple stories, um, John 8 is the woman caught in adultery, where she comes and, and the men have brought her. Uh, she's a woman, I'm guessing she's poor, so we're, we're, we're dealing with sexism, we're dealing with, with classism at least. Uh, and these men bring to her, she's caught, she's been trapped in adultery, we don't know why. Um, and Jesus, this is the whole bending down and writing in the dirt and they're trying to trap him into, you know, will you accuse her or will you show mercy? You've been saying you're such a merciful guy, um, but yet you've got to abide by the law of Moses and he writes down in the dirt and then says if the first one uh, could throw the stone. He is without sin. Let him throw the first stone. And they all leave. Jesus comes to the aid and to the rescue of this woman who's been victimized. Um, the other story I wanted to highlight briefly was, is John 4, the woman at the well. If you read that story, you've got racism, you've got classism, you've got sexism. All three of them, right there in that story. And Jesus, again, knows the Father's heart, comes and sets her free, not just spiritually, socially, he just wipes all that out. The gospel of Jesus isn't just spiritual. It's not just social. It's all of that. It's emotional. It's relational. Right? The gospel of Jesus is, is setting people free spiritually, but it's also meeting their earthly needs. All right. Well, I'd like to, to kind of shift gears a little bit and focus in on, on how sexism uh, leads to human trafficking. Um, I'm a math teacher, so that's why I've got two Venn diagrams so far in my PowerPoint. Give it up for Venn diagrams. Love them. <laughs> so, um, <coughs> so I'd like to chat with you about human trafficking. And what I'd like to do is to confront some myths and misconceptions about human trafficking. So the first one uh, is that slavery doesn't exist anymore. Right? I mean, we did away with that years ago. Slavery was abolished. Uh, that's just not true. It's, it's just not true. There are actually more slaves today Today, there are more slaves than the entire transatlantic slave trade combined. There are more today. 
Um, if you go back to the penny, are you at the penny slide yet? No. I kind of forget my slide order. If you look at this map, this is from a Washington Post blog. Uh, just gives the number of slaves that we're aware of. Um, approximately 60,000 in the U.S. is what they're saying. Uh, you can see that the, huge, the largest numbers are in India. Uh, just horrible numbers to think about. 14 million enslaved in India. We're not talking about just low wages. We're talking about slaves. We're talking about, I decide that I own you and I can do with you what I want because you're not human, you are my property. Slavery, like real slavery, beating people, all that horrible stuff, it's there. And so in the world today, it's listed as, as 27 million and one. You probably saw the number up there. Why 27 million and one? Uh, one of my favorite authors uh, is Kent Annan. You know, he's uh, involved with an organization called Haiti Partners. They're doing fantastic stuff down in Haiti. Uh, and he wrote, speaking about the earthquake in Haiti a number of years ago, that really understanding large numbers is so hard to do. Uh, and and he always, he says, you know, we round numbers off because it, it, we don't really know and so we estimate. But he says, I always like to put the one on because 27 million is very impersonal. And if we say 27 million and one, it reminds us that there's always the one. That 27 million is not made up of 27 million, it's made up of one and another one and another one and another one, and somebody's daughter, and somebody's mother, and somebody's sister, and somebody's brother. It's people. Uh, I tried to give the, uh, the picture up here of pennies. Uh, if you can find that slide, Ange, I'm sorry. It's, uh, it's there somewhere. <coughs> if, you, if you stacked pennies side by side on top of each other, um, the, the, the stack would be six feet wide, six feet high, and 16 feet long to get to 27 million, which is remarkable, but I still can't comprehend that. Um, one thing I can comprehend is Cheerios. Um, there's approximately 4,000 Cheerios in this box. And so, what I'd like to do is just uh, as a little illustration, and sorry for the people that are cleaning up later, um, but also as a reminder later on when you come to the table. It would take about 6,750 boxes to get to 27 million people individuals that God cares as much about as he does for you, that he loves as much as he loves his own son, that he spent his son, gave his son for each one of these. Slavery is alive and well in 2014. Um, again, I encourage people, be careful about how you use your language. Um, 
We don't say slavery is abolished. We can say this transatlantic slave trade was abolished, was made illegal. Uh, can't even say it's abolished, was made illegal, uh, but it wasn't abolished. Uh, next one, Ange. Um, next myth, it doesn't happen here. Sure, I, okay, I, I'll give you that it happens over there somewhere. It's an overseas problem. It doesn't happen here. Or, well, okay, maybe it happens in the U.S., but it's like the big cities or Las Vegas. That's where it happens, right? Um, it happens here. Uh, it happens in Pennsylvania. It happens in Bucks County. It happens in Montgomery County. It happens in Lansdale. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. There are an estimated 293,001 American youths currently at risk of becoming victims of commercial sexual exploitation, according to an FBI report. There are between 600 and 800,000 people trafficked across the U.S. border. Half of them are children. Half of them. 300 to 400,000 children trafficked across our borders annually. 80% of them are female. We've got a problem. A recent case of sex trafficking in Montgomery County, Florencio Perez Martinez, a 45-year-old man from Perkiomen Township, just faced more than 100 felony and misdemeanor prostitution-related charges for allegedly running a five-county sex trade business. As of December 19th, Martinez, a Mexican national residing in the U.S. illegally, faces um, 11 and a half to 23 months in county prison, and then deportation. It happens here. Um, it does. Next one. It's their fault. Right? I mean, it's their fault that they're in this. Uh, we hear this all the time. I hear it all the time. Uh, well, they want this. They chose the life of prostitution. People stop and think about what you're saying. Uh, I don't know if any of you said that. If, if, you, if you haven't said it, I'm sure you've heard people say it. Uh, that just doesn't make sense. If you learn really about what's going on with prostitution, it doesn't make sense. Nobody would choose that. Um, well, maybe they've made bad choices and it's put them in their situation. Uh, I don't have another follow-up for the rest of these, Ange. Um, I have two responses to the, it's their fault. Number one, in the vast majority of cases, you're just wrong. It's just, it's, it's not their fault. They, they've, they've been victimized. Um, I've got more stories here. I don't know if I'll read them all for the sake of time. Um, this is Prima. She's from Kolkata. She was 14 years old when she was trafficked to a brothel in Kolkata, India. For over a year, she was routinely raped and beaten for somebody else's profit. She started to lose hope and feared that she would be trapped in the darkness forever. Um, she was found, set free. Uh, she likes to laugh, dance, paint, and she's studying in school now. Uh, Viata um, was trafficked 
into a Cambodian brothel with a guard stationed at the door to watch her and other girls. Others profited from her assault and she couldn't escape. Uh, finally, at 13 years old, she was set free. Uh, she testified against her abusers who were sentenced to 16 years in prison and she began a new life with school friends and has dreams to become a travel agent. I'll leave several of these up here. Uh, feel free when you come to take the Lord's Supper that take one and read it. Um, <coughs> so it happens. Um, it's not necessarily bad choices. I want to give just some brief stuff about how, what I've learned about how it happens. It's different how it happens here than how it happens there. How it happens there, other countries, sometimes it's religious. Uh, parents will, will give their daughters to the temple uh, for temple service, right? Uh, sometimes parents know what that means. They just don't care because maybe it'll get them in good with the gods. Sometimes they, they might not know what it means. Uh, sometimes it's poverty hits uh, they don't have money to send their daughter to school they try to find her a job they hear about jobs in the city honey you can go work in the city and wait tables and it'll make good money and sometimes again sometimes they know sometimes they don't know they think they have a trust well I know that happens but not this person's trusted, you know, we know this person, and gone, never to be seen again. Um, lots of different stories about how it happens there. How it happens here, uh, again, lots of different ways. How it happens here, girl needs uh, <coughs> some attention. She's already been told by the culture that the reason that she's valuable is because she's sexual. That's her value. Her value is, is as, as a sexual object. How does she know that? Well, she watches TV. She listens to music. She lives in this culture. She knows her value is sexual. That's what our teens and young people are growing up with. Um, she meets an older boy. Older boy woos her. She likes the attention. Older boy says, you know, starts to sleep with her. And then, hey, you know... You're, you're amazing. Um, you really should get paid for this. Like, and and in, it sounds twisted, but it increases her value if she can get paid. Right? Or, hey, I'm running out of money. You know, it's just one of my buddies. Do you mind? Like, he's going he's gonna to pay me money. It's just one time. And before long, the relationship with him is, is done. He's no longer a boyfriend. He's now pimp. Um, it happens, it's ugly. Um, why can't she just escape? Um, chains, uh, sometimes emotional chains are, are harder to break than physical chains. Uh, there's fear of punishment uh, if she escapes. There's shame. Uh, if, I, if I do get out, even if, even if I get out without him beating me again, uh, where could I go? Who's going to take me? Right? Uh, I'm, just, I'm just a beat up, used up prostitute. Uh, she has no self-value. She's dehumanized herself because of the dehumanization that's been done to her. Uh, next myth. Uh, it's not my problem 
I'm not causing the problem. Um, all have sinned. No one's declared righteous by the law. We're guilty. We spend our money on things. Uh, we, I mean, you guys shared how we do it. Uh, I, shared, I shared how I contribute to the problem, how I've contributed to this problem for years. Um, yeah, but you don't, you've never gone and paid money to a prostitute. You've never even paid money for pornography. Yeah, but we contribute when we feed into that lie. When we feed into the devil's schemes, we're contributing to the problem. There's a website I'm going to give a handout to you with some homework and information on it at the end. But uh, again, I'm a teacher. You get homework. Um, there's a website that I'll give you called Slavery Footprint. I encourage you to, to take that uh, look at the website. It's just a little quiz, a little test, looking at your lifestyle and, and, and the impact that that has on slavery uh, worldwide. Next one, it's not my problem. I'm not part of the solution. I hear this from friends of mine, dear friends of mine, who are like, yeah, well, I understand that that's a problem, but, you know, my, my circle here uh, aren't slaves. Um, yeah, it's a, again, it's, a, it's kind of related to it's a problem over there, and, I, and I'm not called to do that. I'm called, you know, no. <laughs> um, Jesus says in Matthew 22, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And it goes on, who is our neighbor? Right? Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, they're our neighbor. The girls that are enslaved, they're our neighbor. We need to be loving them. If we're going to love them, we set them free. Uh, we, we follow Jesus' example from Isaiah 61 about setting them free. Um, in 1 John, uh, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. This is how we know what love is. And catch this. <clears throat> Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Um, it's not enough, as J.R. mentioned the other week, to just talk about justice. Uh, it's, it's somewhat sexy to talk about, um, but we need to actually do stuff to get involved. Which leads to the next myth. There's nothing we can do. The problem's too big, too complicated. You're right, it is. It's big, it's complicated. The world's covered with trash. How can we possibly pick it all up? Maybe we can't, but we can pick up this one, and we can pick up that one. Right? Um, it's a big and complicated problem. The story I read to you from Gary's book how do we even tackle something like that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But we start chipping away at it a little bit at a time. Um, we need to remember that the God who's about justice is bigger than the injustices that exist in our world. It's a long and boring at times work. Uh, it takes a lot of diligence and patience 
But if it's God's work, if God's in it, it can't be stopped. Next one. Um, we must do everything. This is a very American problem. Uh, we need to go in and rescue them. I'll, I'll say especially even an American male problem, right? Uh, we must go rescue them because we are strong and we are on our white horse and we go in and rescue them because they are weak and they need our help. Uh, no. Uh, April's going to be leading uh, a book study here in a little while and, um, well, they'll rip that to shreds. So, uh, we live in a broken world but we're not together either. We're not going in on the white horse to save people. We need to recognize that we're broken people trying to help other broken people be made new by a God who's in charge of all this and who loves us and sent his son in our place. <clears throat> all right, almost done. Um, the truth is there are things we can do. I want to throw just a couple of them at you. Uh, not to act out of guilt, not to act out of self-righteousness, not because we're on the white horse, but because, because Christ's love compels us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Our lives are on our own. If we've been purchased by the blood of Christ, we're now compelled out of love to love those around us. So five things I want to encourage you to do practically. Number one, pray, pray, pray. Um, I mentioned International Justice Mission, Gary Haugen. He shared in a, in a talk at the Justice Conference that this... This, uh, or their organization, International Justice Mission, they start their day at 8.30. Uh, their, their offices, main offices down in, in D.C. They start their day at 8.30. And from 8.30 to 9 o'clock, it is quiet time. It is time for their whole organization to be still before God and just listen. And he says, oh, at 9 o'clock then, man, we hit the ground running and we work our tails off until 11 o'clock. And we stop. And we pray. And I wonder what our lives would look like if we had similar patterns. If we recognize the power of prayer. I'm guilty. I struggle with this. Um, pray. Pray specifically. Find God's heart. And pray God's heart for these justice issues. Pray specifically as you can. Uh, number two. Listen and help their voice be heard. Something that I've been convicted about with the whole dehumanization and watching your language thing. Um, I've been convicted about no longer saying, <clears throat> be a voice for the voiceless. I've said that numerous times. They're not voiceless. They've got voices that are just as important as mine. It's just that we don't shut up long enough to hear them sometimes. Or the world doesn't shut up long enough to hear them. Listen, listen to, to, to God, listen to their voices, and let their voices be heard. Number three, educate yourself and others. We've got uh, books, uh, I've got resources, 
a number of people here have resources. Uh, and I'll pick on April. I'll pick on Megan. Um, educate yourself. Educate others. Uh, just talk about it. Increase awareness. Number four, give. Um, renew. When you give to renew, up in these boxes or online, it goes to help daughters of Cambodia. Um, it goes to help Pastor Brito. It goes to help Man on Main Street. Uh, goes to help the Laurel House, who's uh, part of the Walk a Mile event. Um, we're doing a lot of this stuff, and that's awesome. We need to keep doing it, and I, I commend the church. I commend the Renew Community because I think we're doing a fantastic job. I think we can do better. We can do more. Um, what else? Go. Uh, sometimes go means go around the world. There's, there's some rippling starting about a possible trip to visit Daughters of Cambodia. Uh, if you're interested in that, talk to myself or Doug and we'll put you in on the email and, and, uh, and try to help with that. Um, Cheryl and Julie have done trips that have been somewhat justice-oriented. Uh, sometimes go means go uh, to the next cubicle. Sometimes go means go across the street. Sometimes go means when you're out on a walk and, and, and you see that person that you're just not quite sure if things are right, but you, you go over and, and you just listen and ask God to help you. Um, all right, well, that's what I have for you this morning. I want to ask, um, maybe I could have the house church pass stuff out. Um, what I have on here is uh, a list of resources. This is certainly not an exhaustive list. There's some websites, some organizations, some books, um, DVDs, uh, yeah, you name it. Um, one side is that. The other side is some homework. So uh, I'm not going to grade you on this, but uh, God will. <laughs> um, number one, uh, there's a slaveryfootprint.org. I encourage you to, to take just a few minutes and do that sometime this week. Number two, my challenge to each and every one of us Read Isaiah 61 every day. At least for the next two weeks. Uh, maybe Ange will withdraw the homework assignment. I don't know. When she takes... No, she's not going to? Oh, good. Um, so how about for the rest of the series? What would happen if we read Isaiah 61 daily? If you miss a day, there might be grace enough to cover that. Um, maybe. Just read it with an open heart and ask God to speak to you. Um, consider reading through the biblical prophets. Uh, one of the best exercises I did in seminary was to do that and compile a list of injustices. Um, and then pray, uh, pray, pray, pray. I put down three prayer requests that I grabbed from International Justice Mission's uh, prayer requests for the week. I encourage you to, to make them your own. Uh, if you're interested in signing up for their prayer list, uh, it's a good place to start. So uh, that's it.